Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Lowdown. As you know, Misha is off on a cruise ship, acting his heart out, and we we wish him the best of luck while he's uh, he's uh, overseas doing his thing. And uh, but more excitingly, I want to welcome back Alex Pope, one of our long-standing hosts and panelists on the show. Alex, congratulations on the the exciting news of your uh, your newborn daughter. Yes, thank you very much. Little uh, baby Eva Pope was uh, brought into the world last two weeks ago. Um, so yeah, we took a little hiatus there. Not that anyone will notice because we're still posting every week. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's been an incredible journey. Thank you. No, and it's and it's we we had an opportunity to bring on uh, some amazing uh, guest contributors um, last time around for our advertising uh, podcast. But always good to have you back on and and have the two of us on again and. And so tonight I wanted to um, kind of do another look at the pandemic, but I mean, we've kind of been looking at, at health or the health aspects of it, or like um, looking at small businesses and the shutdowns, you know, going into lockdown and then opening up again. We've also looked at like anti-vaxxers, all that sort of stuff, but I'm, I'm going to kind of take a different angle on the pandemic tonight. And, I, and I'm glad you're along for the ride on this one. I want to talk about um, Canada's economic state throughout the pandemic and coming out of this pandemic, because as you know, Alberta and the West aside, if you look at Ontario, we've, we're actually beginning to flatten that fourth wave, like the curve of the fourth wave, and we're not out of the woods yet. But there's a lot, but but we can have cautious optimism that things that things are looking pretty good right now. And so I think it's a good opportunity to say, okay, this is what happened. This is these are the spikes. These are the, the trends that we saw during the pandemic, and then come now that we're shifting out of the pandemic. What's going on with inflation? You know, cost of groceries, cost of gas, um, just the whole economic outlook, and 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 centering around all of this is inflation. In Canada, we saw, and I'm just going to my notes here, um, as of, this is data as of August of this year, August 2021, a 4.1% increase in terms of the inflation. So an inflation rate of 4.1%, um, which is which is something to look at. I mean, it, that's not insignificant. And, and we're that's, talking- That's more than double, uh, more than double the usual inflation oh, yeah. rate, which oh, no. it's usually around yeah. what? less than two percent two or three percent two or three percent and and three percent is like on the higher side so yeah four percent definitely setting off some alarm uh, alarm bells and while i you know both of us like we went to media school we're not you know economics majors we're not you know political scientists or bankers investors whatever but i think you you and i can just have a you know a discussion as just canadian citizens talking about how this impacts our daily lives so I just wanted to throw that stat out there and there's a couple of different topics. We don't have to cover them all, but there's a couple different factors that I think after doing some research um, definitely are having an impact on what we're seeing with the Canadian economy and the inflation, basically the cost, the rising cost of gasoline as well as your groceries, okay? Um, one thing that I do wanna point out is that the GDP, and for those who don't know what the GDP is, this is, the total value of all the goods and services that Canada produced. That actually shrunk in Q3. So we're looking at July 2021, July of this year, our GDP actually contracted a little bit, okay? But that was to be expected because, again, a lot of, we had just come out of lockdown, and so businesses were just kind of waking up and opening up again. So I think 
while GDP shrinking is definitely a factor, it was expected. There are other factors and I'm just gonna lay out all the factors and then we can dive into them one by one. So one other thing I wanna point out is even before the pandemic, we've had Trudeau in office We've talked about Trudeau on the podcast. Some of us like him, some of us don't. I've, you know, I'm now in a position where I'm a little bit kind of against Trudeau and kind of leaning, you know, I actually wanted to bring in O'Toole because I think he could have fixed or at least started to fix the situation that are that we're in. Um, because what we're seeing is um, the liberal government, even pre-pandemic, spending at levels that are, that are just um, way too high. During the pandemic, um, you know, we're, we're racking up hundreds of billions of debt. Um, if you, I think the debt's like, if you look at just the debt alone, I think it's close to the trillion dollar mark. And then if you look at the, um, the um, what's the word? I can't think of the word right now. The deficit, like the deficit is billions and billions of dollars. Um, again, you have to look at the fact that, that, that all this spending that, that Trudeau has done throughout the pandemic is going up against this GDP, which is shrinking. So you have the forces of economics kind of, you know, putting Canada in a really tight spot. You have CERB, um, which I understand the power of CERB and its intent. But then if you're a really low income worker, um, you know, maybe there's not that motivation to go back to work because you're already on, you're already getting like a glorified version of EI. So if you're making more sitting on your butt at home, taking the government's money, maybe there's not motivation for you to go back to, to work. And then on top of that, I also just wanted to reiterate, we've seen rising um, costs of groceries, gas, and um, something that I'm going to lead off with. And then I'll, once I've let off, I'll, you know, with my introduction, I'll throw it over to Alex for commentary. But the first um, point that I want to make tonight is I actually work at a company called Homestars. And, I, and it's a wonderful place to work. Couldn't be happier at Homestars. We're essentially a marketing company, but what we do is we connect um, general contractors or plumbers or electricians, anyone who's part of a skilled trade and can, and can do something in your home, we connect them to home owners. Okay, so we're essentially a platform where, you know, we're getting these professionals, again, this could be a, a cleaning service, a maid, okay, an electrician, um, some, a landscaper, whatever, we're connecting those people, they're paying a service for us to market their business to these homeowners. And after having some discussions with our, you know, in our, in our um, company-wide meetings, like I didn't realize how big this industry is. Like the whole, the whole industry of, well, not only real estate in Canada, but, but looking beyond just real estate, the renovation industry is huge. We, Homestars, uh, my company is a market leader. We are arguably the number one um, company in this space doing what we do, getting quotes to homeowners for, you know, from, from vetted professionals. And one of the things that I started thinking about was I was reading up on, on some of this stuff and, you know, something that happened earlier on in the pandemic in the spring is people are stuck at home and they don't, they can't go out. So what are they doing? They're putting money into their homes. Canadians are spending millions of dollars every year um, just putting money into like bathroom renovations, finishing their basements, um, roofing, all sort anything to do with renovating the house. Um, 
Canadians are doing that. And then, and that's something that's not going away. Home renovation, the home renovation industry is enormous. It's a multi multi-billion dollar industry in Canada. And, and one of the things that happened in the spring is you saw um, a lot of demand for lumber. And so there wasn't enough supply of lumber, like these, these retailers who were selling the lumber to these contractors or to these homeowners, they couldn't keep up with the demand. And so what happens is the, the price of lumber skyrockets. So one factor that I did want to look at tonight amongst all the other ones that we spoke about is the fact that we saw this huge spike because don't forget that Canada, one of, you know, a key commodity in Canada is lumber. That's a, that, you know, we have trees galore and, and, and lumber is a huge part of our economy. So it's to see that, that spike happen in April, May, June, when people, people are doing all these home renovation projects. And then what happens is it, it crashed down again just recently. So that was one key area I just wanted to put out there was, you know, people doing all these home improvement projects, um, put up the, you know, increase the, the demand for lumber. And then the, and then, and then there was just supply issues with lumber and then thus this giant spike. So that's just one of many examples. And I just wanted to lead off with that one. So that all said, um, I've mentioned a lot of different factors here tonight. Um, Alex, um, is there anything that I mentioned in that list of factors that jumps out at you in terms of, you know, what's contributing to this unique position that we're in, in the economy right now? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think a lot of people have been sort of assuming that everything is like pandemic related, you know, but it, it's, it was actually pretty interesting to watch us come through this pandemic. I, everyone was kind of expecting uh, economic catastrophe, you know, closing all the businesses and things like that. Like surely our economy is gonna be destroyed. Um, in the first wave, we did see the economy drop down a little bit, but it came right back and it's been pretty steady ever since. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting that um, closing down all the businesses hasn't had a bigger impact than it has. And, uh, and I think, you know, part of it is that a lot of the businesses that were shut down, namely like restaurants and, you know, uh, hair salons, nail salons, things like that, they just aren't a big enough piece of the pie to really make a big difference. Um, you know, and, and although these things are important, you know, we all love to go out to, to dinner and, and things like that, but, you know, the, the person that's serving your food um, and the company that's, that's uh, you know, running the business, they're not making enough money, enough of that GDP to, to really make that big of a difference. Um, so the economy is able to sort of like continue along almost as if nothing is happening, um, mm. which I think is pretty surprising, um, you know, to see that. But, uh, you know, regardless, like there could be sort of um, sort of aftershock effects that are that we're starting to feel now. Like, I mean, obviously the government has supplemented people's income, you know, loaned out money to businesses, uh, you know, with without any real you know, plan for getting that money back, you know, you've got, you've got the CERB and, and stuff like that. 
um, yeah, like we could we could start feeling that economic downfall oh, yeah. Yeah. much later than than when we expected it to happen. No, and I, I agree with that. I think we're going to be paying for this pandemic for years and years and years to come. This is not just a one year and it's over. We're like with the balance, the budget is balanced kind of thing. No, we as as taxpayers, we are going to be, you know, recovering collectively as a nation for years to come. Um, and I think, honestly, I think Aaron O'Toole would have done a better job than say Trudeau is currently doing in terms of getting that turned well, around. He has no plan to- He has no to plan. Work. He's just, yeah. it's like Jagmeet Singh. I love Jagmeet Singh. And I said in one of our earlier podcasts, if this was a utopia and we had a balanced budget and things were all rosy, I would have voted for- Jagmeet Singh, because I, I like the idea of socialized dental care, socialized pharma care, increasing spending when it comes to schools or even just basic health care, like all that stuff. I love it. But this is not the time. And I think what Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh have uh, demonstrated time and time again is they don't have a plan. They have a plan for spending and, and doing all these lovely things for, 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 for society, but they don't have a realistic plan for getting the economy back on track. So needless to say, without going on too much of a tangent here, needless to say, I was disappointed with the outcome of our election. And I think that O'Toole could have done a better job just getting everything back on track. But that said, I did want to circle back um, to, the, to, to what you had mentioned about small businesses. And one of the key things that I wanted to talk about was the labor shortage. And so I was actually watching the agenda with Steve Pakin today. He's a host on TVO. So this was a TVO special. And uh, he had interviewed um, someone who owns a brewing company in Ottawa. This is Ridge Rock Brewing Company. Um, and then he also interviewed a the owner of a hair salon uh, in Midtown Toronto. And so he had these two small business owners on, and here was their take. Um, the lady from Ridge Rock Brewing Company in your, in your town of Ottawa there, Alex, um, she said that because of labor shortages, she has had to go from being open seven days a week down to five days a week, which sucks. And what happens is you can't get enough staff in, which means you can't meet customer demands or, or patron demands which means you have to close shop two more days, two days a week, reduce your, um, your offerings, your, your hours of operation. And then what happens is, you know, your output, obviously you have less, you know, revenue, which just um, shows that if this is happening in X, Y, and Z, um, small businesses throughout, whether it's Ottawa, Toronto, or what have you, this is what, what contributes, I think, at a, at a greater scale, to a shrinking GDP or just, yeah, like just small businesses in general, um, not thriving the, the way they could be. Um, the same thing with the hair salon and something that the lady mentioned at the hair salon. And I think probably the same thing is true with my fiance's nail salon. I don't want to go into too much speculation or anything like that, but the idea that these, these staff, if they were not feeling stable about their career. Let's say you're a hair, a senior level hairstylist, you have colorist experience and you've, and you're, you're pretty well into your career and then your, your hours keep getting shut back. Uh, sorry, um, cut back. Or let's say you're, you're in a lockdown and you cannot work at all. 
it, there's a very good chance these people are going to be going underground and, and hosting someone at their own place and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, doing their doing nails on their own or doing hair on their own um, and not necessarily reporting it to the CRA and just kind of taking some of that, that revenue for themselves and, and kind of playing their own game. So I think that's definitely one thing to think about is, is there's a lack of stability with, you know, if, if someone sees lack of stability in their job, they're either going to go back to school, right. And, and take a, you know, go back to school, get an, um, for a whole other industry, whole other career, they're going to do whatever they can underground on the side, whether it's nails or hair, um, or to your point, they're, they're just going to sit on the couch and take serve because it's making them just as much money. So, um, Anything, anything you wanted to add about the small businesses before we move on to, to uh, the next topic? Yeah, I think, I think it's been really interesting to watch because basically after this whole thing has happened and now we see there is a labor shortage, you don't hear a lot of people talking about minimum income anymore. Um, at least I haven't. Mm. But I, th- I think maybe people are starting to see, oh, okay. If we give everybody, even if it's just like not that much money, even if it's just a living wage every month to everybody, how many people are going to go to work? Probably not that many. <laughs> I yeah, don't and I think this is a complicated thing. And, I, and I, I agree with the sentiment of what you're saying. I think in theory, a universal income is a lovely idea in theory, but I just don't think it's realistic. We don't have the money. It's a utopian as, idea. It's a utopian idea. Just like the idea that communism is perfect on paper, communism is a utopia on paper. Have you ever heard about a real life uh, communist utopia? No, right? Like no. It's, it just doesn't happen. So I think it's the same thing with this universal income. Again, I lo- I really do admire Jagmeet Singh, and I and I and I do admire what the left and what the socialist kind of leaning people are trying to do. At the same time, I just don't think this is the time, and I don't yeah. think it's realistic to have a universal yeah. basic income. We, we just went through a major federal election. I, I didn't watch all of the debate, but yeah. from what I've seen and read in the newspaper, I don't think anybody even mentioned minimum income during the entire, uh, you know, like it's just, I don't think it's on anybody's agenda, which yeah. is great. I think oh. if there's one good thing to come out of all of this, it's open people's eyes up a little bit. I don't know. For, no, for sure. For sure. And I think, you know, as tempting as it is to sit on the couch um, during the pandemic, I think I think for me personally, I don't I don't like not doing anything. I like being busy and contributing, whether it's at my company or doing this podcast or going out and shooting video for a wedding or whatever it happens to be. Like I want to be engaged, I want to be busy, I want to be doing something. But some people are okay with sitting around and just like watching Netflix and just letting the cash come in. But you know, that can only go so far. And then we're going to just, we're, you know, we're just going to go further and further into debt. So I think, I think we can both agree that universal income is not realistic. It doesn't really, it actually detracts away from the economy and it just encourages people not to contribute because it just makes them complacent and kind of takes away their motivation. Um, yep. It's, it's a harsh reality. I mean, like I've, I've been on unemployment insurance, like, you know, a long time ago now. Um, but like, it's, it's a real fact. Like I can't deny that once I had that steady sort of like, albeit small paycheck, um, 
the motivation to get out there and pound the pavement and, yeah. and get, get out there and kill something and bring it home and eat it. Yeah. Uh, that motivation did go down a little bit. It's like, I, I felt safe, you know, like, Oh no, for sure. And I think that's, I think that's, I think that's true of a lot of us. Like I know I've been on unemployed before and I've been on EI and I felt the same way. Now I did want to get back to work and, and, and I did eventually want to get back out there, but it was really, I, I did feel comfortable knowing that there was something coming in. And I think that the, the purpose I, of EI is, is, is supposed to be a short-term solution. We all pay into EI out of our paychecks. It's one of those deductions we see on our paychecks, but that's, that's a pool, right? We're all pooling in to this, yeah. into this EI. That's the fund. way I see it. It's, it's my money. I paid to that money over yeah. many, many years. Yeah. And then they ended up having to use it. So yeah. really, what's the harm? Uh, yeah, and that's exactly it. It comes off your paycheck, my paycheck, you know, my fiance's paycheck, whoever's paycheck. We're all in this together. It really is your, you're entitled to it because you paid into it. So definitely agree there. But I think we, what we can agree with, agree on, sorry, is that it's supposed to be a short-term solution so someone can stay on their feet while they're trying to look for work, okay? Yeah. And what we've seen is people taking advantage of it and taking and just kind of sucking up the government funds and not really, not really, really hitting the pavement. So I think we can close up that topic and agree on that. Um, an interesting example that I wanted to bring up next, this is, I mean, today's episode is focusing on the Canadian economy, but I did want to just to add some color to this discussion. I did want to bring up an example from our friends in the United Kingdom in Britain. So right now we're at the point where the British government has put dozens of soldiers on standby um, to ease the fuel supply issues caused by the shortage of truck drivers. So what's happening is you have people like lined up around the block for half an hour, 40 minutes, whatever, to get to get gas. And it's not as if there's uh, there's supply issues with the gasoline or the oil or whatever itself. It's the truck drivers. So the point I'm making here is it's supply chain, right? So if any part of your supply chain, whether it's the, the, the commodity itself, it, whether it's oil or the refined gasoline, or in this case, the missing puzzle piece that's not there, is the truck driver. People, for whatever reason in Britain, don't want to like drive trucks for a living. And so they're having to call in like soldiers like from like the fucking army to go and deliver this fuel to these gas stations like it's just wild I, I i had read something about fuel shortages in the uk but i did not i didn't realize that that's why why that was happening yeah it's just it's just wild and i think i think one of the things that i want listeners to take away from this episode alex is that it if there's one part of the supply chain that's uh that's gone it screws up the entire supply chain which which causes problems for everyone I'll give you another quick example. Have you noticed your grocery bill has gone up in, in Ottawa? I noticed just today. I actually, the, to, today was the very first time I ever had a $200 grocery bill. So what is like, it on the grocery bill that went up? It's going on. Um, the staples. Interesting, yeah, oh, for sure. interesting enough. Bacon went up mm-hmm. by a lot, mm-hmm. like seven bucks more mm-hmm. for a pack of bacon. Mm-hmm. Um, what else went up? Eggs went up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't, I didn't really dig that deep into it because it just made me depressed thinking about it. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, like, it seems like it's the local, uh, the local produce, the local, um, 
you know, meat and stuff like that. That's, uh, that's more expensive than ever before. And, and I, and I'm really glad that you have this real life example of these staples, these key items, um, that are, you know, that a lot of Canadians are buying. These are not like homemade, you know, these are not frozen lasagnas or frozen ribs. These are like your basic things like eggs, whatever, stuff like that. And so I'm glad you brought a real life example. And I'm, and I, and something that I read is that again, it's these supply chain issues and you're right. You, you nailed it on the head. It's the staples like wheat and corn. And I'm just using wheat and corn as an example, because these are like the bare bones ingredients. You need wheat for any type of bread product that you make. Right. And corn goes into a lot of things as well. Right. Like these are just bare bone, like agriculture, like off the farm type of things. Right. And, and because those, the prices of those things have gone up, the price of everything else shoots up. So it's just another example of how one item, you know, in a supply chain or one part of an industry can have this ripple effect and bring up your entire grocery bill. There's been a lot of talk about, about, about rising costs, um, you know, in terms of the, in terms of the, the grocery vertical. Um, I did want to go back to oil for a second. Um, so we had talked about the UK, but what I neglected to mention was, and, and, you know, jump in if anything doesn't sound right here, Alex, but the whole idea of like the fact that, you know, a year ago, I remember when I bought my car, my, my, uh, SUV gas guzzler guilty as charged. It was about a buck, a buck five per liter to fill it up. And that's in Toronto. Okay. But when we bought it, we were in the middle of this pandemic. We were going into a lockdown. It was the winter of, of 2020, 2021, like the December, January, like that whole time period. And so we were in lockdown and no one's on the roads. Every, uh, anyone who's an office worker like myself is working from home. I know you obviously have to drive around as a professional, but you, um, even then I know that they had cut back your hours. So you're not driving around as much. So there's a lot of people who are not on the roads. And so we see a dollar per liter of gas. And then now I'm looking at the gas prices. And every time I drive by an SO, I see this dollar 35, dollar 40. I'm like, nope, I'm going to take the 15 minute drive over to Costco and sit yeah. for half an hour in the Costco <laughs> fucking line. Because even if I sit and idle in my car for, for, for 20 minutes in this Costco wholesale gasoline line, it's still going to save me if I'm filling up my entire bank, sorry, my entire tank, it's still going to save me money in the long run. So have you, like, what have you, have you noticed the same thing in Ottawa with filling up your, with filling up your work vehicle or your, your personal vehicle with gas? Yeah, the gas prices have definitely gone back up since the lockdowns. Uh, during the lockdowns, it was amazing. It was like 68 cents a liter. Problem is you had nowhere to go. Yeah. So yeah. like, when are you, you going to fill up your tank and just drive around the block? Um, yeah. So that was kind of, you know, it was, it was a good and a bad thing. Um, but yeah, now, now it's definitely getting out of hand, but it's way worse near Toronto. It's oh, yeah. way yeah. worse. Every, every time I drive down there to go visit. Um, yeah. It's like, I, yeah, we, we, try, we try to uh, gas up like wherever it's absolutely cheapest, like on yeah. the way. Yeah, it's really bad there. Let's just say for a lot of different reasons, I'm very glad to have my Costco membership. And I, I'm not joking. Um, even though you, when you go to Costco, you end up spending three or $400. If you have dry goods that can last, last you a long time, when I say dry goods, I'm talking bags of chips 
or even my bread, like even my bread, I can freeze. Like if I get three things of bread, I just freeze two of them. Or if I get a thing of meat, like I'll just freeze the meat. Um, gasoline is like 10 cents, you know, five to 10 cents cheaper. Um, and like, and then the list goes on and on like toilet paper. I can bring home like a giant, like skid of toilet paper for, for a crazy, when you look at the amount per roll that you're paying compared to going to say like a Metro or a Loblaws or even a no frills, like, you know, Costco beats no frills as well. And so even though you're spending more at the, at the checkout, if, if it's a dry good that doesn't have an expiry date, or if it's like a paper product or something, or as I said, gasoline, like I, I, you know, I am very thankful and I will with no, with no doubt spend my $150 or whatever it is every year to have that Costco membership. Let me tell you, this is the time to be going to Costco people. If there's one thing to take away from this episode, go to Costco and, and cut down the cost per volume of groceries that you're getting. Uh, Misha would normally chime in right now and say, for our international listeners, Costco is a price club membership style grocery store, uh, where basically every year you pay a membership, all the food is in bulk quantities, and it's generally, like most of the time, it's a really good price um, compared to buying the same amount in a regular grocery store. Just the you know thing that Misha would normally tell our international listeners. No, and I think I think I think then that goes right into my next point that let's avoid retailers because I, I think at this point, I, and I'm guilty of it. I don't necessarily buy my cheese or my milk or my toilet paper at a local convenience store, or local whatever, local butcher, you know, for my meat or whatever, and and that sucks. And I know that I'm a that I'm not good at like contributing to my local economy because I'm not going to that local butcher or that look local cheese person. I'm not going to that local convenience store to support that family down the street who has the convenience store. I'm going to Costco because it saves me money. If you look at the volume of what I'm getting and, and price per volume, right? Again, you're paying more at the checkout, but the price per volume of what you're getting is unbeatable. That's why I'm going, I hate to say it. I'm going to Walmart and I'm going to Costco and I'm going to no frills. And that's where I get my groceries. If my fiance <laughs> wants some Chinese oriented food, I'll go to like a TNT. Um, there's one in Markham, just North of Toronto. But honestly, I go to the cheap big box stores because I don't like spending my gas running around to all these different local stores to buy something. No, I want to go to one store where it's cheap and I know that I can get, you know, 17 out of 20 things on my list or maybe even 20 out of the 20 things on my list in one place. What do you say, Alex? Big box or little little stores? Yeah, like it, it, unfortunately, it seems like big box and Amazon are like the most dependable ways to, to buy things right now. I don't know if you've had the experience of going and buying like furniture from a retail store or, or something like that, but it's, um, it's pretty unbelievable how long you have to wait for whatever it is. Like I, so we just had a baby, so we've been yeah. going to, to buy by baby, um, you know, which is like a, it's kind of like a big box store for like infant stuff. And, and whenever you want like a larger object, like a rocking chair or a crib or something like that, like be prepared to be put on a wait list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we also, we also buy a lot of furniture from like struck tube, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of like a nicer version of Ikea. Um, 
but you know still that modern look um and yeah like we we just wanted a couple of lamps they're sitting there in the store yeah i'd like that lamp and that lamp and they're like okay well one of them isn't going to be here until the end of november yeah uh, the other one we can get you in mid-october <laughs> you know it's like that never used to be the way that, that these things operate it's crazy yeah and that just goes back to my earlier point about supply chain and it's just I think, I think what we can agree on, and, and I'm glad that you chimed in about having the baby and, and buying the baby furniture, because that's just one example, Alex, of a lot of what a lot of us are going through, whether it's furniture for a baby or for me, like just being a new homeowner and buying new furniture for my house. I did not, I tried going to Structube and like things either were way too expensive or they didn't have stuff in stock. And don't get me wrong, I've used Structube before. They're fantastic. I like them, but we we're seeing supply issues. We're seeing inventory issues in some of these retail stores. And it really does hurt whether it's, you know, it, it does hurt the, these, these businesses because what I'm doing is I'm taking my money out of these retail stores like Structube and I'm putting them either behind a bigger company like Ikea or I'm going to go on to Wayfair. Um, I yeah. bought a gaming chair when I found out that I was going to be working from home for the foreseeable future, when this whole thing started back in March, 2020, I priced out uh, office chairs again at Structube. They're like two, $300. I paid 125, I think $150 for a pretty decent, excuse me, um, gaming chair. And it's the most comfortable chair I've ever sat in. And I, and I got it at half the price of any retail store and I got it at Wayfair. And honestly, I love Wayfair. Um, Amazon, when we were in a lockdown, I needed all this stuff for my car, you know, like the little, the little, um, dash cam. I needed like a little thing for my, to put my phone in, to hold my phone so I can plug it in. I needed something to plug my phone into the, into the computer, the onboard computer, all that stuff. Nope. Not going to Best Buy. I ordered it on Amazon. And ironically mm -hmm. at the time there was a Best Buy down the street, but you had to like order in advance and then go pick up curbside. No fucking way. I put it into Amazon. It came in like a couple of weeks. That's it. Okay. And then, and so I think, I think we have a perfect example here of, of my, one of my last points in the podcast tonight is, and this, this is having an effect on the economy, on the GDP, on, on small businesses and, and big retailers as well as Canadians shifting their, their buying habits away from brick and mortar retail stores, you know, you go to the parking lot, walk through the door, you know, go to the checkout. They're, they're going to e-commerce, right? Mm -hmm. Your Wayfairs, your Amazons, your Ebays and everything in between. People are doing things online, which takes, I mean, the pie is only so big. So they're taking every time someone, you know, checks out on Amazon or Wayfair, they're taking away business from those small butchers or electronic stores or, shoe stores or whatever right so lots going on in this giant mess that we call the canadian economy <laughs> so i i wanted to keep tonight's episode a little bit shorter um but uh we've covered a lot of ground tonight even in just 40 minutes or so um so did you have any now that we've talked about you know gasoline groceries renovations the gdp serve all that stuff did you have any final closing thoughts around like here's where we were during the pandemic we're coming out of the pandemic in ontario right now what's coming what's coming up like what's what what does canada's economy 
have in store for the next six months, five years? Um, yeah, I mean, like when I when I see these sort of inflation numbers and things like that, you know, also hearing things about, um, you know, the housing market is starting to slow down and things like that. I mean, I'm always concerned that there's going to be another great recession or something like that just around the corner. We can't see it until until it happens, you know. But you and I lived through the Great Recession. Actually, you and I graduated university yeah. in 2008. Yeah. Um, the exactly the year that the, the housing market crashed in the yeah. United States. So I have to admit, I am a little bit paranoid about this stuff. I have a little bit of like I, I don't know, like mild PS, PTSD for mm-hmm. for economic disaster and that and that's a big part of the reason why i'm i'm you know lean more towards the conservative side of the Mm -hmm. political spectrum is because that was such a big problem for me uh in my 20s uh living through the recession yeah um so i i don't know like i i mean you know part of me thinks like you know everything's gonna work out just fine but at the same time it's very possible that you know, re-electing Trudeau, who has zero plan for for um, you know fixing the economy, and I, I I have zero faith that he would be able to handle handle the economy uh, during an actual recession or a depression. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it con- concerns me a lot, but at the same time, like you know, I've done what I need to do in my life to um, you know. Uh, protect myself against something like that like i have a job in the trades that is going nowhere there's no way this job is ever going to be exported overseas Um, i have like the most secure job ever Um, so like so at least i have that Um, you know really i'm just uh, an anxious observer uh, you know watching all these other things and you know hopefully Hopefully it doesn't tank and, and destroy a lot of livelihoods in its process. No, I, I appreciate that. Those, those uh, sentiments there, those, those observations. And, you know, I, the same can be said about my aunt, like you and I graduated into a recession. I remember working at CBC news network when they actually reported this whole housing crash thing in 2008 and, and all the aftermath. I remember being at a news, you know, a news broadcaster when this happened, it was, it's ingrained in my memory. This just, you know, everything's collapsing, but my aunt is the same way. She graduated in the nineties and she graduated from when she did her CA, like her chartered accountant um, studies, you know, you know, and then moved into working at a bank. She, her first job was at a corporate bank and she's a chartered account. She was a chartered accountant and they were letting people go every Friday. You got called into the boss's office and the reason that she arguably the reason that she got in there is because she can do someone else's job for a lot cheaper, right? She's yeah. fresh out of school. She's not going to be making the same level of money who's someone who's been there for five, 10, 15, 20 years. And so they would dump out all the old, the older farts and then bring in the new ones at cheaper. And so she's been there as well. And you know what? My aunt survived. She thrived. I mean, she survived graduating into a recession you did. I did. I mean, in Toronto, I did the unthinkable. My fiance and I have a house, um, which is again, like, which is just mind blowing, like that we were able, able to do that in Toronto during this, this climate. I mean, you have your first house, you have your first daughter, your brand new, um, newborn daughter. And so the point I'm making here, Alex, is that 
we survived, man. Like, yes, it was hard for us. Like when we came out of university, getting it, going into this rough, you know, housing crash recession in that, that impacted um, Canada, but we made it, man. We made it and and we survived. We both have good, solid jobs right now. Your job secure. And let me tell you, working in, even though what I work in is a tech, technically it's a tech company, but it's, it's, it's rooted in the renovation industry. That's yeah. not going away anywhere uh, anytime soon. Either. It's it's piggybacking on on an actual tangible industry that oh, has yeah. real purpose and people are working with their hands. Yeah, know? that's so, exactly it. And yeah, so I may not be working with my hands. I'm not a plumber or an electrician, but I'm supporting them with marketing. And that our industry is not going, we are, as I said, we are a market leader and we only own a small piece of the pie, but we own the biggest part of the pie out of this giant, giant, giant um, pie of this industry. But we're, you know, there's so much competition out there, which tells me that home renovations are not going away anytime soon, which I guess is my way of saying that you and I, we've done our work, we've done, we've gone back to school, done our career changes, and we're just as you said, you know, we're observers and I think, let's see how this thing, let's see how it plays out. Yeah. Let's, you know, I, I think at, at the end of the day, like it's up to, I mean, Trudeau was reelected. It's, uh, yeah. you know, we can just sit back and watch um, what happens now. And, yeah. and, and, and well, if I mean, like my concern is like going back to what you said earlier, like, like, you know, we lived through, the recession and like life goes on we survived it's it's no big deal like you know it, things happen and we move on we get past it right yeah and i think that's that's kind of the attitude of liberal voters like okay yeah we have a 400 billion dollar um, deficit every year and no plans to correct that um, but you know we live through the last recession um, you know you sort of forget the pain uh, yeah. now that you're now that you're past it yeah but it's like why do we have to do this again why do we have to put ourselves yeah. in a in a very risky position again yeah. uh, but I, I think people just like aren't feeling the pain enough to to look at, at changing the direction and changing leadership in this country it's it's really unfortunate it's very true and I couldn't agree with you more that people forget very quickly, and you're right. I remember like being a fresh grad out of school and kind of thinking, what the hell am I going to do to get a full-time job? And part of that was me being young and fresh out of school, which will happen for anybody when they're, when they're a fresh graduate. But then that's com- being a fresh gradu- graduate, excuse me, compo- compounded by the fact that uh, your industry isn't necessarily in demand TV. And then that compounded by the fact that it's a recession. We did not have it easy, man. We did not have it easy for sure. And I agree that people, you know, forget very quickly. And maybe we, maybe the taxpayers uh, made a mistake by, by um, not voting for, for O'Toole. But if I can, if I can leave the listeners with one piece of advice, I, I, I went to visit my aunt and uncle the other day and and we they have a a daughter my my niece who's 17 and she's thinking about what she wants to do in terms of going to school and they're talking about you know laurier or waterloo or this and that and yeah she wants the university experience everyone wants to go and party and and experience the intellectual you know experience of going to university but honestly, do your research because one of the key things, Alex, that I, when I was doing this research, 
is miss the, the part of the issue right now is that people are missed. There's a mismatch between like what's in demand, like what jobs need to be filled in this labor shortage. And then there's a bunch of people out of work, but they don't have the skills to get in to necessarily fill the demand of those jobs. And so if you're going to go back to, if you're going to go to school or go back to school, do your research of what's in demand. I'm not saying go off and like be an engineer if you don't want to be an engineer or whatever, but you need to figure out like, not only what do you want to do as a person, but is there a demand for it? I'm going to repeat that. Is there a demand for what you want to do? Because you are going to get paid well if, if your skill is in demand. Yep. Is there a demand for a radio and television graduate? I can say that I, (laughs) I can say that I very happily went back to school and put that radio and television part of my life behind me. (laughs) Well, you can see behind me, I have, uh, I have my radio and television arts degree from Ryerson university here. And it's, it's funny. My mom bought this beautiful frame. It's amazing. Like it's, it's just like such good quality. Yeah. And I was looking at it the other day. I realized the frame is worth way more than the degree is. <laughs> <laughs> and so listeners, I think if there's one thing you can take away from this, po- this podcast tonight is don't go into media arts. I've seen the layoffs. It is not funny. If you want to be successful, be an HVAC technician, right, Alex? Absolutely. <laughs> Guys, this has been another episode of the Lockdown Lowdown. We covered a lot of ground about the economy tonight. I'm, I'm very uh, interested to see where Trudeau takes us and where the, the, the leaders of tomorrow take us in terms of this mess of an economy that we have, but only time will tell. Um, again, thank you so much for listening. If you do like this subject matter, we've done uh, tr- um, podcasts on Trudeau, on the election, on the great resignation. So if you're interested in this subject matter, we have a whole library of content available on Spotify you can look us up on, on Facebook or on Spotify. We are the Lockdown Lowdown. Um, lots of great new content coming to you soon. But for now, this is Andrew and Alex signing off. Take care and uh, see you soon.